We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Big Blue Banter Podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Bellotto. Today, we're going to do things a little bit different. For those who know us, you know the podcast is dedicated to analysis based on re-watching the game via the coach's All-22 angle. And we still will be doing that. It'll come later this week. But tonight, we're diving into our rapid reactions, key takeaways from our first watch through the broadcast angle of the Giants' 27-21 loss to the Arizona Cardinals. And on that note, how are you doing on this Sunday night, Nick? Hey, man, I'm doing pretty well. I mean, the Giants didn't exactly show up with the team traveling from the West Coast for a one o'clock start team that's playing pretty hot right now, but isn't exactly world beaters by any stretch of the imagination. But other than that, I'm doing okay, my friend. Yeah, Nick, I mean, the Giants are now two, nine and one in their last 12 home games against the spread. They entered this game as three point favorites. That line moved to two and a half and back up to three and three and a half on the Giants. This was a game that I felt would be a measuring stick for them as far as the 2019 season went. Uh, It's a game they have to win at home against an Arizona Cardinals team that, granted, was playing some of their best football over the last two weeks heading into this one, but at the same time was coming from the West Coast to the East Coast for that 1 o'clock game. It's 10 o'clock body clock for them. In addition to that, the Giants had the 10 days rest and supposed to be extra preparation from the coaching staff to prepare with that extra time for their opponent, the Arizona Cardinals, during the time when the Cardinals were preparing for last week's opponent, the Atlanta Falcons, who they defeated. But at the same time, you know, the Giants did not live up to the expectations here, even though they had a fair amount of opportunities in this one, Nick. So on that note, you know, doing well with the exception of the Giants, who, you know, are clearly starting to, you know, show their colors as far as the 2019 season goes. And it is a team that is, you know, in a rebuilding mode. And that doesn't mean we're not going to see them put it together for some games. You saw it 
in the game against the Patriots on Thursday night football, the effort level was there. It was higher. They came motivated. They had something to play for. No one was giving them credit. In this game, people were giving them credit. They were the favorites. They were expected to win. And they just came out with a lackadaisical start, down 17 nothing to start, 17 unanswered points. So I want your overall assessment, Nick. I want to hear what you think about how the Giants played. Give your assessment and then assign your grade for coaching, offense, defense, special teams, and then I'll come back and do the same. Yeah, my overall assessment, it's poor. I mean, there's no other way to really quantify it because, like we already said, you have the Cardinals coming in. They're on a short week when you compare it to with the Giants having that 10-day break. They also have a 1 o'clock start. And they came out flat. Usually you see it in teams that travel from west to east for 1 o'clock starts. It usually takes them a little bit to get going. Usually it takes like that late in the second quarter to really get going. We've seen it with Russell Wilson. We've seen it with the Rams. And the Cardinals came in and they just got off to such a hot start and put the Giants on their heels, put the defense on the field time and time again, just like we saw with the Patriots. They were playing a lot of plays in that first half. And it was sad to see because it was a measuring stick. You wanted to see the Giants kind of rise in a division that looked like prior to the Sunday night football game. It was up for grabs, even though it seemed far-fetched. No one was really thinking the Giants could, but what if a miracle happened? A lot of people had that on their mind, and it just seems like that is way out of the question. And when it comes to grades for this game, I would have to say the coaching, it was poor. Management, I'm sure we're going to touch on it. Pat Shermer really neglected to do his duty throughout this game. I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only Giant fan to say I think he should pass off this play calling. He needs to worry about the grand scheme like a head coach does and doesn't have to worry about the play calling because it's just too much on his plate as of right now. So if we're doing letter grades, he gets a D. We'll give him that. When it comes to the offense, you got to give it, what, a D plus, maybe a C minus D plus. I mean, you got to think eight sacks, turnovers upon turnovers upon turnovers. DJ holding on to the ball too long, offensive line, missing protections. That's not good. The defense out there valiantly, but couldn't stop the run. Chase Edmonds looked fantastic, and that's a very explosive player. Has a lot of burst, shows that. So I would say the defense, a C, and the special teams, a B plus, I have to say. Yeah, Aljic Rosas missed that field goal, but the block punt, that was a huge play in this game. What about you, my man? Yeah, I think when I'm thinking about this uh, from a grade standpoint, uh, I'll, I'll start with the offense. I'm going to give the offense a C in this game, maybe closer to a C plus. I think it depends what you consider. Uh, you know, if you're going to factor in the turnovers, which were the deciding factor, in my opinion, this game is probably fair to knock them down to a C minus type range just because they're so costly. But Giants did find a way to move the ball at times in the running game. Uh, a few plays called back by, you know, costly holding penalties on big Barkley runs uh, that really set back the team. But, you know, aside from that, found some decent room on the ground. And you look at the flip side, um, and we'll talk about it in a second, but, you know, with the exception of three huge chunk runs from Chase Edmonds, he really didn't get that much going in this game um, against the Giants' run defense. Uh, but at the same time, back to the offensive side of the ball, you know, the pass protection was the worst it's been all game. You said it, eight sacks for Dan Jones. Some of those are on Jones, and that's, you know, one of the things that we're looking forward to seeing when we watch the All-22 in the coach's film. But for now, you know, you have to just look at it from what you see in the naked eye. And there were just tons of blown assignments and pass protection that we'll talk about in a little bit. They were just missed one-on-ones. And, you know, overall, that was terrible. On the defense side of the ball, you know, I really don't think the Giants defense played that poorly in this game. The, the Cardinals did score 27 points, but it was on just 16 total first downs. 
eight passing, eight rushing, and they only had 245 yards of total offense and found a way to score 27 points. And, you know, that's the impact turnovers on the offensive side of the ball can make. They wreak havoc. The Giants can't win games like this. No one can win games like this. You know, it is a knock on the pass, bro. It is a knock on Jones as well. Um, You know, and then special teams. B-plus is perfect there, Nick. Roses can't miss a 37-yard chip shot. Just can't do it. Um, it was at a big moment too in that game as well, because, you know, the Cardinals would have been in a different position on that final go ahead drive, uh, had the Giants had that three points. And at the same time, you know, obviously the block punt plays a big role in moving that grade up, you know, knock them a little bit for Red Ellison missing a block on the punt that got tipped, uh, somewhat of a block, like a block tip where, you know, uh, Riley Dixon didn't get the ball far. And then as far as the coaching goes, um, you know, I'm going to bump the grade up a little bit just because I thought I I thought Betcher did a great job with the exception of how he kept getting gashed in the run game with that specific outside run that Nick I want to hear from you about uh you know once we take a look at the all 22 until then we can't really know what was going on there I kind of want to see what the boxes look like there how many d- defensive backs he had in there Betcher and you know how many defensive li- how many of those interior defensive linemen I should say that he had in the field to see if that played a factor there but you know overall I thought they did a great job in the passing game Kyler Murray just 100 yards passing and just five yards per pass attempt. DeAndre Baker was tested once deep and made a great play on the ball, uh, you know, in coverage 50-50 type ball. So that's kind of my overall assessment there, Nick. And then I kind of wanted to dive into your overall assessment, or I guess more of an individual assessment of Daniel Jones, who came out of this one, 22 of 35, 230, 223 yards passing, a touchdown, an interception, those two costly fumbles we talked about, 35 rushing yards, and then some key stats here. Just four of 12 on third downs for Jones uh, and for the Giants in general, uh, including one that was obviously that third and 18 draw play. And then obviously he was sacked a career high eight times. So what did you make of Jones performance? It's similar things that we've seen from Jones, similar mistakes, which is a little bit concerning, just holding on to the ball a little bit too long and also trying to force throws when there's nothing there. Early on in that game, you got to learn, OK, if it's not there, I can't force it. He tries to thread the needle into that zone coverage and he just threw it right to Jordan Hicks for the interception. And you don't want to see that. But again, this is a rookie quarterback and I'm. Those are mistakes that are just going to happen. He had some really nice throws in this game, though. That throw to Rhett Ellison, albeit I thought he was going to get Ellison killed, it was in the perfect spot to where it needed to be to allow Ellison to go up, make that catch right before the safety nailed him and right over the linebacker. That was a beautiful throw. He had a couple other really nice throws in this game, but you got to get rid of the ball. I know the offensive line didn't help him that much. You can't hold on to it that long in the NFL, especially when you have Chandler Jones rushing on you. Those are things that he's going to have to learn, and I believe he will learn. He's a very smart kid, and these are just mistakes that are going to happen throughout this rookie season. You see a lot of rookie quarterbacks make these kind of mistakes. I'm still high on Daniel, but you do want to have these mistakes rectify themselves over time. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. I think there's there were some re- in, I think there's going to be some good and bad that you take with Daniel Jones based on his playing style. I mean, in addition to the throw to Rhett Ellison that was perfectly dropped in, he dropped a really good ball on a vertical out of the slot to Ingram. That Ingram, you know, dropped it, hit him in stride in the hands. That's a 30-yard gain, or it should have been a 30-yard gain or so around that range. He fit a couple balls in to Golden Tate in tight spots on third and 12. 12 on third and 10 continues to get the Giants out of third and long situations a lot more than they had over the past 20 games with Eli Manning, for example, and probably more than some quarterbacks in the NFL right now in those third and long type situations. That's the good. The bad is obviously his. I think the bad for me mostly here, Nick, is something that I saw on tape when I evaluated him at Duke and why I really wasn't that high on him going to the draft. 
I did get higher on him, you know, watching his progression with the Giants and just thinking about how he fits what Shermer wants to do. But what you're seeing is something something you saw a good amount at Duke, which is when defense takes away his pre-snap read and he has to for and it kind of has to force him to to go further through his regressions or reevaluate where he wants to go with the ball. He's not very fast in processing right now, at least, and he's a rookie. Of course, I mean, look at the stats of all the rookie quarterbacks last year. That's all you need to know um, about that. But yes, as a rookie, it's going to happen. And you know, when that's taken away, what he sees pre-snap and what he wants to do, he's just not fast enough right now it led to that fumble where Barkley couldn't break free on the screen and we'll talk about that uh in a little bit and it led to a lot of those uh late throws that you see in this game and just you know sacks that he took or just no no solutions for plays that you know he thought would go one way and after the snap the defense showed him something else and it went the other way there so I would like to see him take better care of the ball I'd like to see him use his legs a little bit more and I know that he used his legs pretty well in this game, four carries for 35 yards, picked up at least one first down that way. Um, I think that Pat Shermer has to let get a little bit more creative about using him on zone read option, a little more RPO, and a little more designed plays to move him to his right, where I think he throws the ball really accurate. He made a good throw to, uh, to Fowler on the right, which you know may seem like it was behind him when you watch on the broadcast, but really it's the only spot away from the coverage. Um, so you know overall, it was a growing game for Jones. Uh, I think it was, for me— probably you know with the exception of the groove he kind of got into in that second quarter range it was probably his worst game overall just considering how costly these turnovers were in this game back to what we said before nick the giants won the time of possession battle they had more first downs and yet they lost this game because they only had 10 possessions three turnovers to zero for arizona yeah man and another thing about uh daniel just I would like for him to get a better feel of the pocket when things are around him. For example, the sack on second and five, the first offensive drive of the game right before he threw that pick, that was one of those things where he didn't know. I believe it. I'm not sure if it was Chandler Jones, but one of their pass rushers was behind him. He tried rolling out, and there was already somebody behind him to sack him, which led to that long third down opportunity where he ended up throwing that interception. And there was a couple other times in the game, again, we haven't watched the All-22 yet, where there were people around him, and he just didn't seem like he was fully aware that there were people around him. He kind of rolled towards them or something along those lines, and you would like to see him have a better pocket presence. And that's just something that I hope he develops. Again, he's a rookie through time. Yeah, no doubt. And on the flip side, what did you think of the other rookie on the other side, the number one overall pick, Kyler Murray? I mean, Cardinals really didn't ask him to do much in this game, and he really didn't find much success in the passing game. Threw for 104 yards, just five yards per pass. That's really low. Uh, I'm sorry, yards per attempt. Really low there. Really didn't get anything going downfield, the exception of a blown coverage uh, by by Hamilton, I believe, on his only play that he was really in there for when he was in for Haley for a play. Um, so what did you make of Murray in this game? I don't know. It's interesting. I'm wondering if like weather had some sort of a factor. He plays in Arizona. Yeah. He played at Oklahoma, and the weather was kind of nasty. Not as bad as the Redskins game, but it was still kind of nasty. They just didn't ask. They didn't need him to do that much because they took a 14 nothing lead with like five minutes left in the first. So I don't really make too much of it. I've watched this kid play. I watched a lot of his film last week, and he makes some of the more impressive throws I've ever seen. He's such a good athlete. And I really like watching this kid progress and progress. And I think he could be a really special player in this league. But in this game, he wasn't asked to do all that much because he really didn't have to because of those big runs by Edmonds and the fact that they had a really big lead. Yeah, and I'm not trying to make uh, it a referendum on his evaluation. I mean, everybody who's followed me knows Kyler Murray was my number one overall player in this draft. I thought the Giants' best bet this draft class would be to do what they could to try to trade up for him and convince Arizona to keep Josh Rosen. <laughs> um 
he's a super talented quarterback. I'm just saying in this game, did not impress me. Tried to dial up one deep one to uh, to I believe it was Bird and DeAndre Baker made a great play on the ball. He was fooled a lot by the Giants' coverages that led to some coverage sacks there. I'm um, trying to get the exact number of sacks the Giants have. It wasn't super high, obviously, because you know the guy didn't have many dropbacks. I believe uh, the Giants had a couple sacks pair of sacks, but also just some times where Murray was forced to kind of run with the ball out of bounds or run short of the first, you know, that led to punts there. They, they didn't convert eight of their 15 third downs. So a lot of those were via the air. So, you know, I just thought that it's kind of more of a, in relation to, you know, the weather in this game was nasty. It was a rain game and that's never good for quarterback play. So, you know, while, you know, we can beat up Jones for the way he played against this Cardinals defense that had really struggled at the same time, the flip side of things, it reminds me that Tennessee Titans Giants game last year where Mariota threw for like 94 yards and Eli threw for 180 and everybody killed Eli in that game. Um, Eli wasn't good in that game, but at the same time, when it's pouring like that or when it's really wet, it's tough. So we'll see what happens there on that side. Before we move on uh, past uh, to kind of like what I wanted to break down, which is the offensive line in this game, I want to touch more on the coaching and why, you know, both of us have such a low grade for Shermer here. So kind of go over. You know what? Let's. You can go over what what bothered uh, you about his game today, uh, just from an overall standpoint, either you know individually as a play caller and just as an overall situational coaching uh, for Shermer in this game. I mean, I just feel like that final five minutes of the game was just kind of head scratching. I mean, he went for it with that halfback draw on third down, eighteen got three yards, and then he goes for it on a fourth 15 when last week we saw him punt on a fourth and two down by two scores in a similar position. It's just what is the identity? Like I, I watched Doug Peterson and coaches, really successful coaches around the league. They have balls or they don't. They're either conservative or they're not. With Pat Sherman, it seems a little bit wonky, like he's kind of flying by the seat of his pants a little bit. And it's just what is his identity when it comes to these kind of situations? Some of the things that he – some of the choices that he made throughout this game left me scratching my head. And I know you went on a long Twitter rant about a lot of them, and you kind of nailed some of the more key points. I mean, at final five minutes, situational football clock management, like I said earlier in the podcast, I believe he has a little bit too much on his plate. And the fact that he's throwing the challenge flag, that's just one of those things where it's one of those cherries on top that kind of pisses you off. You know you're not going to win it. You're burning a timeout. But it was a chunk play, and it was a really bad call, but you're just not going to flip that. It's just time and time again with Shermer, he's kind of proven to kind of have way too much on his plate. And I'm sure that Giants Nation has seen this all at what back in, I want to say, last year. We saw it this year, actually, with the Cowboys when he mismanaged the clock. And we saw it last year in the Saints game. We saw it in the Eagles game a little bit. So it's just one of those things that keeps happening and he keeps calling plays. And I'm not going to be shocked if Maris or Gettleman come down and ask him to delegate a little bit, get rid of that play calling ability. Yeah, it's interesting. And we can dive into that a little bit because I do think there are good examples in the past of when the Giants have done something like that. And that's the extent of they've had some of their head coaches change coordinators. You've seen it with Coughlin, with Perry Fuel and guys like that in the past. Um, You've seen it come forward with McAdoo when they brought in the offensive system and kind of said, you know, the Kevin Gilbride error is over. So I wouldn't be shocked to see that. I don't see them getting rid of him as head coach. But I'm going to flip it back and say, Nick, I'm starting to lose faith that there will ever be a Pat Shermer, great head coach in the New York Giants type of thing going on for this franchise because his overall game feel to me is just it's just off. It's just wrong. Um, I don't think he's like you said, he's not consistent in his decision making. He flies by the seat. And I think that, you know, there's no it's not just the consistency issue. It's no feel for the game. You know, the problems for me started way before the problems for me start with a guy. Here's a guy who 
on three straight first and tens, runs the ball for a combined three yards, puts his team in second and long three straight times. One of those times was that busted screen that led to a forced fumble, you know, strip sack by Jones. And that flipped the whole momentum of the game because it's a third quarter, seven minutes left. Giants are driving down 17-14 and just rolling. I mean, they were rolling on the drive before and Aldrick Roses missed the 37-yarder. And again, as the defense started to kind of help them out at that point of the game. And, you know, you're consistently putting your quarterback in these second and long situations when you're running on first and 10 from tight formations, heavy personnel. It's just it's just not working right now. If it's not, you know, he runs so much inside zone. And if that's not working against a certain defense, the way they're playing you, you have to abandon it and find different ways. You got to use maybe zone read on first down RPO, get a little quick hitter out there, Um, you know, throw swinging pass to the running back in the flat. This is another example of something, you know, that you're not seeing enough of. But for me, Nick, it's a combination of. You know, all those individual bad calls, running a, a draw play uh, from yeah. third and 18 when, you know, the play before that on second and 10, you have an eight yard sack because both Remmers and Barkley have no clue what they're doing in pass protection. Go to take a blitzing uh, defensive back and Chandler Jones runs free to the quarterback. And, you know, you can look at all those individual plays. Why would you run a screen? And he says, you know, the Cardinals found success with it earlier in the game, but that was a third and 11, Pat. I mean, you know, if your best bet on that play call is 11 yards, well, I can show you. 10 plays in the playbook from a passing standpoint that can get you 10 or 11 yards to set you up for fourth and 10 if you know yeah, you're going. So not to mention, man, the like Cardinals weren't going to go for it on fourth down. He made up his mind at that point that he was going to go for it on fourth down. Exactly. So this was a t- if that's your your mindset, then you have to have plays in your playbook for that series when you're faced with third and long. You can't panic and go to a draw play thinking, you know, in my head, oh, well, it worked for the Cardinals. I just saw this work. No, no, no. You need plays coming into the game that are independent of what's happened during this specific game for the other side of the ball. And you could look at those individual plans, but for me, the biggest issue with Pat Shermer is that he had 10 days to prepare for a defense that has struggled all season long, except for with the exception of a half of football against the Atlanta Falcons. And the overall design of his offensive game plan was just not up to par. It didn't, he didn't find any ways to get Saquon Barkley involved in the passing game. And, you know, maybe that is, something to do with Barkley. We'll touch on that in a little bit um, when we break down Barkley. But, you know, to me, it's a combination of those two things, just individual poor mistakes and then overall just not having a good offensive plan of attack against the defense that has struggled all season. So moving on a bit, Nick, I want to ask you a little bit about this offensive line. It kind of feels like it's regressing a bit. Um, eight sacks allowed in this gl- allowed in this game. Does the offensive line concern you right now, and are you seeing a little bit of regression there? Following a team you love in 2019 can be time-consuming. Trying to follow everything happening in sports is almost impossible. Scrolling through every app and visiting every website on a daily basis is impossible. That's why I subscribe to Axios Sports, the best free daily newsletter in the land. Axios Sports is a modern sports page delivered directly to your email box. When you sign up, for free at sports.axios.com, you'll get the best stories from the NBA and NFL to cricket and ping pong and everything in between. Axios Sports also highlights the most important stats and trends, giving you the ability to stay informed. It's super simple to sign up and it's free. Sports.axios.com. That's A-X-I-O-S. Not only will you be caught up, you'll be the friend sharing an amazing link with all of your buddies. 
Join the 100,000 sports fans who get caught up on the day before it even begins. And best of all, there's no paywall, no subscription fee, nothing. This is free curated sports content delivered directly to you. Sign up at sports.axios.com. Again, try it for free 99 at sports.axios.com. Have you ever seen someone and thought, man, you look fresh and fly there, guy? Well, then you probably saw someone wearing Indochino because Indochino is founded on the belief that you don't need to spend a fortune on a custom wardrobe. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more. And everything is made to your exact measurements for an absolutely great fit. The process is simple. Choose your fabric, pick your customizations, and submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom or do it all from the comfort of your home at Indochino.com. The best part is that it is incredibly affordable. Almost all of their custom clothing is under $400. That is insane. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. Isn't that great? That's Indochino.com promo code BLUEWIRE for $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more. An incredible deal for made to measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. Try Indochino. You will not regret it. I mean, it's concerned me all season. We've talked time and time again on this. I say time and time a lot, by the way. But we have talked on this podcast about how Remmers, Jalapio, and even to a certain extent, Solder are replacement players, people that you're going to look to upgrade in the next offseason or maybe the one after that. And that's a concern in and of itself, right? So you have Daniel Jones, rookie quarterback, put in these disadvantageous situations by his coaching staff when they continue to run the ball. And he's facing these second and nines, second and tens, second and eights. And the offensive line is having these protection miscommunications, something that we saw dating back to last year. Yeah, that's really concerning to me. You're talking about a team, the Cardinals, a team that outside of Chandler Jones isn't really known for their pass rushing ability. And they, they got after Daniel. Daniel was holding on to the ball too long, but they were fooling the offensive line with stunts. The defense, they called a really good game. From what I saw, obviously I didn't see the all 22 quite yet, but yeah, no, it definitely concerns me. It's none more evident than when Remmers and Barkley both allowed Chandler Jones to come in untouched. They both saw the blitzing defensive back and went after him and leaving Daniel Jones to just get sacked. I mean, that's stuff that's inexcusable. It's going to get your quarterback hurt. So yeah, it's really concerning. Yeah, no doubt. I think this is a position group that really will need to continue to be upgraded. I said it after the 2019 draft. They simply just didn't have enough draft picks. This is going to be part of the Dave Gettleman way. Um, you know, even after trading for for what was two draft picks in this draft class that they wouldn't have had otherwise um, if they had not traded Odell Beckham Jr., they were still lacking on picks, and that kind of put him in a situation where they missed a really strong offensive tackle class, um, or at least what I had graded as a really strong offensive tackle class and offensive tackle is a position they need to start thinking about this 2020 offseason that position needs to be upgraded it needs to be identified it needs to be you know there needs to be a talent infusion there and it has to come not only through free free agency like it did this year with mike remmers it has to come through the drafts and i know you know 
Big George, a guy they traded up for Kentucky. They thought they had an insider note on him. And it is unfortunate that he had really bad concussion during training camp. But, you know, we can't lean on late round picks like that. The Giants need to upgrade a little bit earlier um, with a little bit more of a premium asset in that position. Moving on, Nick, um, it's another and keeping it on the offensive side of the ball for a little bit longer. It's another game and it's another busted screen pass called. I mean, the Giants simply can't get away with it. They simply can't get the screen pass game down. I'm sorry. I mean, this time it led to a disastrous momentum swinging turnover, really changed the whole game. Uh, that forced fumble where Jones was holding the ball, holding the ball, looking for that screen and was busted up. Um, you know, why can't the Giants get this right? considering that, you know, we saw this on film with Jones that he was finding success at Duke in the screen game. So what's the issue now? I think it could have something to do with the offensive line. I mean, screen game, that's not just on quarterback. That's not just on the running back or the wide receiver, whomever you're throwing it to. It's on the blockers who are getting out there. And that's kind of evident on this play. It seemed like Barkley got caught up on those blockers, got caught up in the traffic and couldn't get out, which led to Daniel Jones holding the ball a little bit too long, led to him getting sacked. It's a team effort up there, and it just doesn't seem like they're all cohesive enough to have this be successful. They're letting the pressure get to them, and there's no timing. Timing seems like it's the biggest issue when it comes to these screens, and timing is one of the more essential ingredients when it comes to the screen game. So that's what it seems like to me. I'm pretty sure you share a similar opinion. Yeah, I was going to say the exact thing, Nick. I think it's a timing issue. I think this is the type of thing the Giants did not do a good enough job of of practicing and implementing during training camp, during the preseason, during the time when they had to set it up. They've never been good at this screen game. It's pretty new offensive line. I mean, there's still that left side, but, you know, these with, with Solder and Hernandez, uh, who, by the way, guys, you know, they're getting pen, – pen, was it a penalty for each again today? I mean, the penalties are racking up on this offensive line. We've seen constant holdings. And, you know, part of that is the NFL has a pro, is calling holding holding this year at a really gross rate. Both sides of the ball. I mean, the Cardinals got hit with one, I believe. And, you know, any game you watch, we're seeing a lot – too many holdings, I think, at this point. But, you know, these – these drive these penalties are drive killers. We saw it last year in the first half of the season in 2018. We're seeing it again now. Um, and, you know, I don't think the timing is there either, like you said, for the screen game. And, you know, this was supposed to be a part of getting Daniel Jones involved in the offense. It was supposed to be something that the Giants were going to figure out because part of Shermer's calling card, part of what made him that 2017 AP coach of the year, assistant coach of the year for the Minnesota Vikings with Case Keenum, birthing the career of a, you know, turning around the career of a journeyman who we clearly see doesn't have it after stops in Denver and Washington. And part of that was the screen passing game. In addition to, you know, the verticals from the slot that we saw, we, you know, we almost got with Evan Ingram today. And, you know, we've seen in the past with Golden Tate, but we're also supposed to be getting that screen game and, you know, the Giants followers, the Giants fans, us evaluating the game, we're just not getting that. So maybe it's a work in progress, Nick. I, I don't know, but it's not there right now. And it kind of, you know, brings me to my next point, Nick. Are the Giants kind of just going away from what works for Jones as a quarterback? We're not seeing as much of the RPO, the zone read concepts and things of that nature that really help Jones get into a comfortable rhythm at Duke. What do you make of that in this game? I'm not really sure what I make of it because I saw that as well. I would like to see. I, I thought the Giants were going to do that, getting Saquon Barkley back. I thought there was going to be a lot more of those RPOs with Golden Tate and Evan Ingram. And then the zone read with Daniel Jones and his athletic ability along with Saquon Barkley. I was expecting that to be implemented in this game plan and you just did not see it. And instead, it resulted in Daniel 
taking these drops, going through progressions and holding on to the ball way too long. You know that was one of his critical vulnerabilities going into this game is him holding on to the ball when nothing is open, especially when that first read is taken up. And you didn't really help him out by running these zone reads or RPOs. I would love to ask Coach Shermer why that wasn't more of an emphasis going into this game, especially with the 10-day break. Yeah, unfortunately, that's something we're going to have to rely on the beat writers for. Um, and between me and you, Nick, I don't see that happening. I don't see many <laughs> X's and O's questions <laughs> coming in during this week or any other week for that matter. But on that note, Nick, uh, what you make of Saquon Barkley's return to action? He actually you know, turned in pretty good numbers considering had his biggest plays called back by penalties on the Giants offensive line still averaged four yards to carry 18 for 72 added eight yards in the in the passing game I thought that was the biggest disappointment but that for me is a Shermer issue more than anything else I don't understand why this guy's not running uh arrow routes I don't understand why this guy's not running uh wheel routes those should be a consistent part of the playbook but anyway what did you make of Barkley just from his on-field performance and his return to action especially with the wheel routes, because we saw that be run with Jonathan Hillman. I'm expecting Texas routes, all these kind of things, but they're just not materializing. But Barkley, he got hurt. When he locked off the field, I was like, oh, shit, what the hell's going on now? I thought he re-injured. I thought, I mean, he came back and the Giants were down a lot. Thought we were going to see him be utilized much more in the passing game, but didn't necessarily see that. Still explosive, still very fun to watch, but I just want to see him involved more in the right times, not on a third and 18 draw play. Yeah, and hopefully not on as many first and tens because all the analytics and everything you can look up and just common sense says there's better plays in the playbook than a run on first and 10. You even turn your passing game into an extension of your run game. That's all we're asking or that's all I'm asking. But yeah, I thought Berkeley, Barkley still had his burst, his trademark burst, uh, showed up on a few plays. But something interesting that was said on the broadcast actually from Carl Banks, who calls the game with uh, Bob Pop on the radio broadcast. And he said he thought that Barkley wasn't moving well laterally and kind of only had, was a one-trick pony, could go you know, straight forward. That's something to keep an eye on. Um, I thought I saw some solid lateral movement on the big, the biggest run he had that was called back when he got into the red zone, in addition to his touchdown run, which was really a work of art. And, you know, that's one thing you can be happy about uh, and confident about with Barkley's return to the lineup as a Giant fan, and that's that they're going to get much better in the red zone because simply he turns busted red zone run plays that are calls that are <laughs> going to go for one or two yards with Hilleman to a touchdown run. And his touchdown run— there wasn't much there, in my opinion. He made some. He made. He made a really good. Uh, he picked a really good spot there and drove his legs through for that touchdown. Barkley too. When it comes, uh, one of my biggest, one of my only knocks on him coming out of college because he was such a great prospect is try and hit the home run when you got to take the single or got to take the double and just giving up on plays. We saw that materialize in this game as well. He just tries to run to the outside, can't get that edge, and then he just goes backwards. We saw that, and you just don't want to see that. And I know he beats himself up over that, so hopefully he doesn't really make that a thing. It's one of those yeah, things where you, you'll take it when he gets to the edge, but sometimes you just can't get the edge. Yeah, it, it hurt them in this game for sure. They they lost. They went from a second and four to third on ten on one of them. Um, and yeah, it's something that you know Pat Sherman and him have worked on. It was something he kind of changed a little bit about his game last season in 2018 after the bye week and started to kind of hit the hole. He said he changed his whole pacing to the hole. Um, try to try to get there quicker. I think it's his first game back, so you know he's a little bit hesitant from that standpoint. How about Evan Ingram in this one, who also made his return to action after missing a week with an MCL? 
I don't know uh, if the injury was still playing a factor for him, and if so, I don't know why they played him in this game. Um, I didn't think he was creating either. Wasn't creating. This, you know, we have to wait for the all twenty-two. I'll be honest, Nick, and uh, and to everybody listening in, it's really hard to say without seeing the all twenty-two angle if he was open or if he was creating separation. But obviously, the drop was bad. Uh, what'd you make of Ingram's performance overall? So he ends up getting poked in the eye later in the game. I thought he got poked in the eye on the first play of the game because he kept dropping the damn ball. But <laughs> Evan Ingram, love the player, does this once in a while, man. He just has these mental lapses and these drops, and the conditions were poor. He had a couple plays where he was abused in pass protection as well. Granted, I'll give it to him. He really shouldn't be one-on-one blocking guys like Chandler Jones. That is not a recipe for success. Maybe he wasn't all right. The entire time he had those, he got a couple practices, full practices in. So he's able to dress. You think, okay, we got our playmaker back. Had early drops. He just could not overcome. And it sucks to see, but we've seen this before with Evan Ingram. I mean, hopefully he'll get over it. I think he will as he kind of gets more confident. And listen, this happened last year when he tried to come back from that MCL sprain, went too fast on it, re-injured his hamstring while trying to make up for it. And those first that first game back, I believe it, I don't even think it lasted two games. I think it was just one game back. He looked a little bit, has it a little bit slow, and then started to turn it on over the last four games of the 2018 season. So I haven't lost any confidence there on that one. Anyway, Nick, before we flip this over to the defensive side of the ball, is there anything else you wanted to add on the offensive side of the ball? Nah, I mean, I'm really interested to dive into the All-22 and kind of see what Daniel Jones might have been seeing, see what the routes were downfield. Hopefully, Pat Shermer didn't call another two-man route concept angle to the same sideline to the boundary. Hopefully, we didn't see that, but mm-hmm. we'll have to wait till Monday night or Tuesday morning. No doubt about that. I mean, I guess this is also a good time to ask you, you know, what are you most interested in seeing right now if I had to ask you when you get the chance to rewatch that All-22 coaches tape? I want to see what the Cardinals were doing with their rushing attack especially when it comes to how they were blocking Dexter. Nah, you stole it from me. You stole it. That's what I want, buddy. I wanted to see how consistently they were running away from Dexter Lawrence as well. But at the same time, I want to look at the trenches on the Giants' side of the ball. I want to see what the Giants, exactly what those miscommunications were. We saw the one because it was really, really blatant, and it ended up getting DJ sacked and hit really hard. But there were other ones as well. I kind of want to see that too. Yeah, I mean, we're in lockstep for this, Nick. My my main thing is I want to see what happened on those busted run plays, those three 20-plus-yard run plays by Edmonds in a game where, look, Edmonds finished this game with fewer yards than you would expect for someone who hit three 20-plus-yarders. He finished with 126 yards on 27 carries, 4.7 yards per carry, with those three big plays, um, thinking, you know, making up almost 50% of his yardage. So, really, the Giants did a good job against him with the exception of those three plays. So, Got to see what happened on those plays. And, you know, if it was good game planning against Betcher and his style of defense, we'll see. I want to see who was, like I said, I want to see who was in the box. I want to see what the personnel was on that. Because I we've said this before, Nick, and we'll say it, and I'll say it again. The Giants will get taken advantage of at times in the run game if they're going to be in sub package as much as they plan to be with James Betcher. If you're just going to throw, you know, five five interior linemen on the field, if you're going to put just two of those interior linemen, I should say, and three and two edge guys that are undersized, and then one guy in the middle like Alec Ogletree, you're going to get burned on the run. Alec Ogletree is not a good run defender. He's not good, uh, in my opinion at least. But Bethea is you know, a, 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 playing like a shell of himself right now. And Pepper's probably, at least from my angle, Nick, I thought had his worst game this game is specifically against the run. I don't know where you stand there. Um, but what do you make overall? I guess we can dive into that, of, of the Giants' defense against the run in this game. Because like I said, 127 yards, you know, half of it came on 
126 yards, I'd say. Half of it came on two plays. And then Murray tacked on 28 yards of rushing, but on 10 carries. So only 2.8 yards per rush. Well, I, I know that Cliff Kingsbury and the Cardinals offense were trying to catch the Giants in their sub-package personnel. I want to see what exactly that personnel was. If it was just the two down linemen with Alec Ogletree or Mayo and Grant Haley in there in run support. Grant Haley had a couple plays where he stepped up. I thought Baker had a couple plays in run support where they stepped up. But looking at the defense, man, they seem to cover well on the back end. I am interested to see that from the All-22. But they had a lot of pre-snap motion. They had a lot of movement. And that keeps the Giants inexperienced linebackers and the Giants just young defense kind of on edge. They're looking. They're going one way. And that kind of messes up their run fits. Maybe that had something to do with those 20-plus yard runs by Chase Edmonds. If the motion drags the linebacker just a couple meters or a couple feet away from where he's supposed to be. And then that gives the blocker a certain angle to get to him, climb up to that second level and seal him away. Because those holes were pretty big, man. So I'm interested to see all those kind of things and how that pre-snap motion and movement kind of affected the Giants in those big plays. Yeah, no doubt, Nick. And listen, it's an interesting game. The Giants lost a game. If I told you the Giants were going to lose a game where they had more yards, they won the battle of time of possession, they had more first downs than the Cardinals, um, and they lost a game, I mean, you really can boil it down to, in my opinion, just really stupid penalties and mistakes there, three really costly turnovers, and some really costly coaching decisions. Even before the half, when Shermer runs on third and 20, when the Giants can throw a 10-yard stick route to get Roses into, you know, the 45-yard, 47-yard field goal range. I mean, you're gonna have, you have the 2018 all-pro, first-team all-pro kicker. If you can't rely on him for a 50-yard kick, I don't really know if he is the all-pro you think he hit. Like, then what, what's going on here? I know he, he blew a 38-yarder, and overall, I have thought that Roses has looked shakier this season for what that's worth. You still have to have confidence in him there. So, you know, it's a game the Giants could have won in so many different ways, Nick. Yeah, and, and I mean, on the defense side of the ball, guys, we're going to have to wait to see this All-22 film, the coaches' film, that'll come out either tomorrow night or in the early morning because that's key for us, at least. It's even more important for the defense side of the ball, I think. Um, it's important for quarterback, obviously, but really important for defense. Overall, you know, I thought this wasn't a regression from the defense at all. Like I said, Cardinals really didn't move the ball that much, just 245 yards of total offense. It's nothing. Um, the turnovers really led to a lot of points for Arizona, and then they hit those big plays. They hit a big busted coverage where they had a big passing play, and, you know, they had those big runs as well. So, you know, that's what that ha really happened in this game. But to me, it wasn't a regression at all from the defense. But, you know, give us time. We'll look at the All-22. We'll get back to you on that because there's still more to see there. Nick, before we wrap this up, I was going to ask you, going into our All-22 evaluation, was there any one player you wanted to keep a closer eye on or somebody who you think, you know, you have questions on based on what you saw from the broadcast angle? Not necessarily based on what I saw from the broadcast angle, but I am interested to see how DeAndre Baker was covering receivers down the field. I know they have, like Christian Kirk is injured. The Cardinals have some injuries on that back end, but I, I see just on Twitter and just through Giants Twitter people saying that DeAndre Baker is already a bust, and I think that's just absolutely ridiculous. So I am interested to see kind of how he was covering. He did make that really nice play downfield on the one Kyler Murray deep pass, but I'm interested just to see everybody. I want to see how, again, like I already said, not to reiterate, Dexter Lawrence did against the run if they ran away from him how they double teamed him and how did that isolate Dalvin Tomlinson and BJ Hill to have one-on-ones and were they not winning those one-on-ones because that would be concerning so I'm really interested to see kind of how the defense played and how the run fits were executed and yeah on the off offensive side of the ball offensive line got to see that and I want to see how Darius Slayton did against Patrick Peterson 
Yeah, I mean, I'm interested in, in a lot of those things you mentioned. I'm definitely interested to see how the Giants handled Larry Fitzgerald, who really had re- been giving all defenses havoc until this game. The Giants did a really good job with him, uh, at least from the stat sheet uh, standpoint. I mean, he was non-existent in this game for the Arizona Cardinals. Fitzgerald had just one catch for 12 yards. Farrell Cooper led the team with four receptions. They really didn't move the ball through the air in this game. It's crazy, really. But yeah, I'm interested to see that defense overall from that standpoint. You know, they're really starting to get some cohesion finally at the linebacker level. They need upgrades there clearly against the run. It's not it's not enough. Um, but, you know, they're going to be gashed by teams. They're going to be gashed by teams like the Vikings in the run game. And, you know, teams like the Cardinals, they're going to be gashed by other teams. We just know that. Um, when it comes to run. But yeah, I'm also interested to see what's going on with the defensive line. And, you know, this was one of the first games we didn't hear Dexter Lawrence's name. Granted, you know, the, there really weren't that many plays uh, for the Cardinals on offense uh, or really that, you know, they didn't really have that move the ball or keep the ball that long. But at the same time, you know, it seemed like he didn't really make any noise. And the Cardinals do have Justin Pugh. So I'm interested to see that specific matchup on the offensive side of the ball. I'll be focusing in on Evan Ingram. I want to see what he looked like uh, and how much uh, separation he was creating or wasn't creating. On the same note, I want to see Golden Tate there. And then I just want to see the overall execution of the offense in the sense of, you know, what the actual game plan was, what the specific, uh, you know, different schematic concepts they use personnel packages is all important to me because to me it was an unprepared offensive plan of attack by pat Shermer, whose job is to design the offensive plan it's also his job to call the plays it's also his job to decide if he wants to challenge pass interference that hasn't been overturned basically at all this season and hasn't been overturned for him in four previous tries it's also you know all these responsibilities are falling on him if you're catching the, the picture here and it's at some point you have to think, okay, if this guy's going to be our head coach, then it's probably a good idea for him to focus all his, you know, all his attention on that. Some guys can do it, you know. Some guys can call the plays on the other side of the ball and be a head coach. I just don't think we're getting to the point where we can confidently say that Pat Shermer will ever get there. You know, he, we're seeing these same mistakes over and over and over again, no matter who the quarterback is. So we're losing that excuse as well there. So that's kind of where I'm at, Nick. Any other final thoughts before we sign off? Nah, you took the words right out of my mouth with that. I mean, it just seems like he has way too much on his plate, needs to scrape it off, and he needs a little bit of help on that side because it's not pretty right now. No doubt. And listen, guys we and girls, we really appreciate you guys tuning in. This is our first time we're doing this quick takeaways podcast reaction type uh, style. Let us know what you think, and we'll probably be back with it then next Sunday when the Giants play again if you like it. Um, And we'll keep this going. Obviously, you can look forward to later this week, likely on Wednesday in the morning afternoon time, we're going to be dropping the all 22 review of this game, Big Blue Banter, uh, you know, the classic one that you guys, you know, that helped help make us what we are. And to everyone who listens or tells their friends about it or family or rates us on on iTunes, the only thing we ask, you know, rate us, download the show, give us a nice review. That's all we'll ask. And thank you for doing it because it really makes us feel awesome. And it's helping us grow and we're really happy about where this is headed. It's too bad we don't have anything positive really to talk about in this podcast. After a game, the Giants really should have won that they lost, in my opinion. But, um, you know, stick with us and we'll keep it going. Nick, do you want to tell them where they can follow you on Twitter for any of the new listeners? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Nick Falato. That's N-I-C-K-F-A-L-A-T-O. Thank you very much. Yeah, no doubt. And you can follow me, as always, on Twitter at Dan Schneier NFL. D-A-N-S-E-H-N-E-I-E-R-N-F-L. Both of us will be trying to, and most likely, I mean, we've done it every week, posting game clips and analysis uh, from that standpoint as we work our way through the All-22. And on that note, we're going to end it like we always do. Go Giants. 
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.